Tonight, our subject is freedom from shame. And shame is defined as a painful emotion caused by guilt. A painful emotion that's caused by guilt. And guilt, we feel, we all know, whenever we've done something wrong. So how do we get free from the shame that's connected with sin and wrongdoing? That's what we want to talk about tonight. So let's start with A on your, uh, does anybody need an outline? If you do, raise your hand. One down here. Anyone else? Just one. Okay. Over there is someone else. It really helps if you all come forward a little bit. Just seem so strung out. But I guess you got your favorite seat, don't you? <laughs> okay. All right. So, A, what is sin and where did it originate? And the first scripture there, written by David in the Psalms, explains that we were born in sin. Because it reads, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So according to the scriptures, we were all born in sin. We were all sinners. In the uh, Catholic Church, where I was raised, in that church, they had what they call original sin, or they talked about original sin. And that would be the sin that you have when you're born, original sin. And so that's the reason that they baptize little babies in the Catholic Church. Because they say by doing that, that that child will be rid of its original sin. Well, the reason that that's not necessary is because little babies don't sin. And James says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So because they can't sin as a baby, they don't need to be baptized. That makes sense? However, uh, if that is how you were taught, then that's what you do if you belong to that church. But the scripture teaches us that when a, a person is, a child is old enough to understand right and wrong and can repent of their sins, then that's when uh, they can get baptized. And we all know as Pentecostals that when you're baptized that your sin is removed. Baptized in Jesus' name. So original sin, Romans 5.12 Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So sin came into the world through Adam. Through Adam, because he sinned, one man, because one man sinned, Adam, then sin was passed on to all of the human race. And then there's other scriptures that say, by one man sin entered the world, but by another man, which was the man Christ Jesus, then sin was paid for, the penalty was paid for, and we know that was by his death and by his blood that we can get forgiveness for sin. First John 3, 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So if there is no law, there is no sin. But we do have laws. We do have commandments in the Old and the New Testament 
And in the Old Testament, we know God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, wrote them with his own fingers on a stone, and gave them to Moses. And in the 20th chapter of Exodus, they are recorded. Do not lie, do not steal, do not kill. They were written by God. They are God's laws. Psalm 19.13 says, and David wrote this, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Now, what are presumptuous sins? Presumptuous sins are sins that you know what you're doing. They're willful. It didn't just happen. You didn't just make a mistake. But they were willful. And David said, help me. I know what's right and what's wrong. Help me not to do what I know is wrong. Because that is what is known as presumptuous sin. And he prayed, Lord, keep me from presumptuous sins. And then Romans 4.15, if there is no law, then there is no transgression. If there were no laws in the word of God, number one, we wouldn't know what sin was. And we wouldn't know when we committed sin. But we are without excuse because it's in black and white, right? It's in black and white. It's in his word and tells us what's sin and what isn't sin. So in the New Testament... Uh, you could say, well, the law was given in the Old Testament, but D Jesus validated the law, and we'll look at that in the New Testament. He validated it. It wasn't just for the people in the Old Testament. It's for us today. So in Ephesians 4.28, it talks about stealing. Stealing. And if we read in Romans 1, 24 to 29, it talks about sexual immorality, which one of the commandments is thou shall not commit adultery, including homosexuality is listed in those scriptures. And then 1 Corinthians six eighteen, it talks about fornication, which is sex outside of marriage. And we know that's wrong. And in Mark ten nineteen, Jesus lists some of the Ten Commandments when he was talking to the rich young ruler who came to him and said, Lord, what do I have to do to go to heaven? And Jesus said to him, well, you know the commandments that he was talking about those commandments in the Old Testament. You know what the commandments are. Do not lie. Do not steal. And the rich young ruler looked at him, and he uh, was so happy because he said to the Lord, Oh, I have kept those from my youth up. And we know he had another fault uh, because he loved money. And Jesus asked him to give all that he had to the poor, and he couldn't do that because he loved his money more than he loved God. But I point that out because Jesus referred to those Ten Commandments. Now, look at B. I want to look at this because I think sometimes, maybe even with young people or even with any of us, what is not regarded as sin? Your thoughts are not sin. You can think something sinful, but unless you act on that thought, like you can look at something, uh, go in the store and, and uh, see all kinds of things uh, that maybe you would like to have, and maybe you would think, well, you know, I could just... Go in there with a big pocketbook, and I could just take things from the counters and put them in my purse and, 
and and I could nobody maybe nobody would see me. Now I could think that, but that's not a sin. It's not a sin unless you do it. Does that make sense? Just to think it is not a sin. Because sometimes thoughts come and we don't even know. This is true. We don't even know where they come from. And I, as you know, I counsel people all the time. And it's amazing the things that will come into a person's mind. Just something that it's like, where did that thought come from? Has that, that's happened to me. Has that ever happened to you? Because thoughts are just thoughts. And, you know, like I keep saying, they're like a bird. They come in from somewhere and fly over your head and, and you don't know where they came from. And sometimes you think, wow, I can't believe that I thought that. But the point is, don't keep thinking it if it's wrong. Because you might act on it, and then it would be a sin. If you act on something you're thinking that's wrong, then that's when it becomes a sin. But just to think it is not a sin. And we're on B. So two under B is temptation. Temptation is not a sin. It is not. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all points as we, but without sin, because he didn't act on it. And you're going to be tempted. Sometimes you're tempted just from, the Bible says, the lust of your flesh, just because we're human, we're tempted. Uh, and many times the enemy will tempt you. Uh, to do something that you know is wrong. But temptation is not a sin. Don't ever think that. You think, oh, my God, I, 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 I've got to repent over that because, oh, I thought something terrible and, and I was tempted to do something terrible. You don't have to repent over that because you haven't done anything. You haven't done anything. So temptation is not a sin, and neither are your thoughts. And number three, your desires are not sin. Are not uh, sin. They may you may desire things that are not right, things that belong to somebody else. Uh, you know, talking about uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, more than one is you shouldn't covet, and we're going to talk about that. What is covet? You shouldn't desire things that belong to someone else, somebody's house, somebody's wife, <laughs> somebody's husband. You shouldn't, you shouldn't covet those things. But if you don't act on it, it's not a sin. If you don't act on it, they won't put you in jail because you thought about killing someone. They would never put you in jail for that. But if you do it, they will. Amen. <laughs> All right. Now let's look at C. Desires, lusts, and covetousness. What is lust? Wrongful, intense desires without the regard for the rights of others. Now the word lust is a little stronger than the word desire. Lust is a very strong desire, if I can term it that way. And it's persistent. It's persistent. It's something that it seems like you, it's always on your mind. And if that's ever the case, you need to pray that God would remove that because lust can lead to sin. It can lead to sin. It's a very wrong desire, intense. It's not just like a passing thought or temptation, but lust is stronger. To lust after something is to have a very intense desire for something or someone without the regard 
for the rights of others. And what is covetousness? It's the same thing, another word, to covet. It's a continual desire, relentless desire, and longing for something or someone that belongs to another. And so why do we have these thoughts? You know, we have the Holy Ghost, right? Why do we still have thoughts or temptations or even lust? Or why do we covet? You know why? Because we're still in the flesh. (laughs) That's why. We've got the Holy Ghost. But when you get the Holy Ghost, you're still flesh. Now you're spirit and flesh. Before, it was just all flesh. But even though you have the Holy Ghost, that doesn't mean that you won't be tempted or you won't have thoughts that are not godly thoughts. So how does a Christian overcome lust? Look at first Galatians, or look at Galatians under number one. Galatians 5.16. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So there is a way to remove lust from your flesh. And that is to walk in the spirit. Now, how do you do that? That's by prayer, reading his word, being faithful to church, walking in the spirit. And you will not, Paul said, you may have lust, but you will not fulfill the lust. Did you see that? You may have it, but you won't act on it. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then uh, number two, Romans. These are great scriptures to put to memory. Romans 6, 12, 13, and 14. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Now, you is understood before the word let. Don't you. You have the power to not let sin have dominion in your life. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Let it reign. Let it control you. That you should obey the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. Don't go places. Don't be with people. Don't read things. Don't look at things. Don't yield your mind and your heart to be an instrument of unrighteousness. You don't do it. Don't do it. You don't let those things reign in your life. You keep your life holy and do the right thing and walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So don't yield yourselves unto unrighteousness as instruments, but yield yourselves unto God and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not have dominion. We've got it up on the screen. For you are not under the law, but under grace. Thank you for putting the rest of that. Amen. Sin shall not have dominion because you are not under the law, but under grace. Because we have access to the grace of God. And sin does not have to have dominion, rule our lives. We can live without sin. Um, turning, we're on the other side now of your notes. How to repent and receive forgiveness. And I don't know if anybody's here. I don't know if anyone here is Catholic, but most of you know that I was raised Catholic. And if you are, I'm not 
saying this to put the church down. There's a lot of good people in the Catholic Church. But I learned that what I was being taught was not right, and so I didn't stay in the Catholic Church. But in the Catholic Church, the way that you deal with your sin and repent is you go talk to a priest, right? And you do that before you have communion. So when I was growing up, usually on Saturday, we went to confession. And you go in this place where there's a curtain and the priest is there and he's not looking at you. He's sitting like this so that there's somebody on this side. They can come in on this side and talk to him in this ear (laughs) or they can come in this side and talk in this ear and you never look at him. You never I mean, you never see him and. He doesn't look at you. You just talk into his ear. And maybe they do that to save embarrassment. I don't know. But anyway, so I used to go to confession. I was not bragging, but they have this term, devout Catholic. That means a good one. I guess there's some that are not. But anyway, (laughs) I was one of the ones that was devout because... I did everything they told me to do. I really did. They said, do this, and I did that. So they said, you got to go to confession. So I would go to confession on Saturdays. And it went something like this. You had to say, young people, and I'm so glad that young people are in here and everyone else, but you used to say, you would have to say something like this. Well, I lied last week three times. You tell them how many times. That's what you would do. I lied three times. And you would have to say, like, I talked back to my parents. That was wrong. So you would have to confess that to the priest five times. Uh, Maybe uh, you stole something. And so you'd have to say, well, I stole something twice. And, and, you know, you just, <laughs> I think about it now, it seems kind of silly. But anyway, I did it. And, uh, and then after you did that, there was no instruction. You know what? I am so glad for this. I really, really am. Because I grew up without this. And I just did things that I was told But when I found out, praise God, that there was a law and there was a God and there were instructions on what to do and not only what to do, but why you did it. Because in that church, there was no explanation. You couldn't ask questions. We used to go on Fridays. I didn't go to Catholic school. I went to secular school. But every Friday, you could go to whatever church you belonged to and and uh, go to their meeting or their class or whatever. So on Fridays, I would go to the Catholic school where the nuns were. And uh, I'll never forget one Friday. I went there, and uh, we were, they were talking about God. You know, we didn't know a thing about what the Word of God. We just listened to what they taught. And uh, I remember that uh, someone raised their hand in that class, and they said, well, you know, how do we know what Jesus looked like? Because we, you know, they didn't have cameras back then. And so it was kind of like an innocent question. And the nun got very upset and said, you don't ask questions. You just listen. Now, that's the way it was. You did not question. And, you know, that's why we say 
that Catholics make good Pentecostal people because they really obey. <laughs> they learn. <laughs> they obey the pastor because they learn how to obey the priest. So anyway, um, I did that, and that was how they taught us. Uh, and, and then after you confess to the priest, then he didn't say, you know, okay, now you need to repent, and this is how you repent. You know what he said? He, he said, go say your prayers at the altar. Well, the prayers were like the Hail Mary, uh, Mother of God. It, they were written on little cards, and they were something you memorized, and, you know, you just re- you just read them. You went to the altar, and you read these prayers. One of them was... The, uh, uh, our father, you know, that prayer that's in the Bible. But there was no instruction, nothing. It was like they didn't expect that you wouldn't come back again next week. And they didn't say, you know, don't come back next week and tell me that you stole something. They, they never did. They, they kind of expected that you would. So we did. I mean, we went back and said the same things over and over. Uh, but thank God for the truth, right? So praise God, praise God. So how do you repent and receive forgiveness? Number one, on your paper there. First of all, you have to recognize and admit that you have sinned. Don't try to hide it from yourself or God. You can't hide it from God for sure, but don't, don't try to sugarcoat it to yourself and say, oh, well, that was like a small sin. Recognize and admit that you have sinned. And number two, be sorrowful for your sins. I thought about that when I wrote that down because, you know, in the court of law, Anyone that's committed a crime, you know, the judge and the jury, they look to see, they really do, if that person has any sorrow for what they did. They look for that. And if they do, it works in their behalf. It may lessen their sentence. But they look for a repentance. They look for a regret. And if they don't see it, then that works against the person that's on trial. So we need to be sorrowful. And number three, you need to determine to forsake that sin. In other words, don't just repent and do the same thing again. Like in the Catholic Church, they they never said, you know, you... You lied three times. Well, don't come back next week and tell me you're still lying. They, there was no instruction. It was just like, just come back to confession. But the Bible does teach that we are to forsake our sin. And repentance, the, the real meaning for that word is to turn away, is to make a, a, a turnabout. Not only to uh, confess it, but to be sorrowful and forsake it. Determine, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to do that again. In fact, there is scripture that talks about in the uh, epistles about laying again the foundation of repentance. Always repenting, always repenting. If you're always repenting, over the same things, you need to do some soul searching. Find out, why, why am I keep doing this? And, you know, pray that God will help you to forsake your sins. Then, number four, you confess your sin to God. Number five, you make restitution. If you stole something, you have to take it back. I got to tell you this about your pastor. He's not here. <laughs> I got to tell you about David. When he was like seven, uh, he stole something at school. What was it, Denise? A racer or pencil or something? 
He was seven, but you know, he felt so bad about it. He told me about it. And uh, he said, Mom, I, I stole something. And I said, what was it? And he told me, and I said, well, David, you've got to go back to school, and you've got to give that back to whoever you, whoever you stole it from. He said, oh, Mom, don't let me do that. They don't even know. I mean, they got two or three. And, you know, David, he's always been like a big talker. And, but anyway, I said, no, no, I, I knew I was pretty firm. I said, no, no, you, it, it, you feel bad, but you've got to make restitution, David. You've got to take it back. And he did. But guess what? It bothered him so much that he actually repented and got baptized. He got baptized, Sister Richie, at seven years old. He knew what was right and wrong. And when he stole whatever it was, I think it was an eraser from someone at school, he realized he was a sinner. He realized he was ready for baptism because he realized that he knew right and wrong, but he was doing what was wrong. And he had to repent and he had to get baptized. So he did. He did. So you have to make restitution. And then six, you have to forgive others. Now, that's an interesting concept in the Bible because the Bible says when you ask forgiveness from God, if you've, somebody's done something wrong to you and you haven't forgiven them, he won't forgive you. That's scripture. You know, you have to forgive or God won't forgive you. So when you repent over something you've done wrong, if there's uh, someone that's done something wrong to you and you got this grudge and you just, you know, can't stand that person and you won't talk to them and whatever, you've got to make things right. You have to forgive that person or God's not going to forgive you. And number seven, keep God's commandments. Don't keep sinning. You know, I mean, you may sin again after you repent, but don't keep making the same mistakes over and over. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Because this is a real story of sin and repentance. Psalm 51, this is David. This is after he had sinned with Bathsheba, committed adultery. And this is what he wrote. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, Blot out my transgressions. David did a terrible thing. Committed two horrible sins, adultery and murder. Adultery and murder. And David did not repent for at least nine months. You know how I know that? Because God didn't send Nathan the prophet and you know the story how he told him about there was this man that only had one lamb and someone that had a lot came and took his lamb. And uh, he just told him a story. And David said, well, who was that man? We have to do something to punish him. And Nathan said, thou art the man. In other words, he took. Uzziah's wife and David had wives and he had money and he had everything just like the person in the story but Uzziah didn't have all that David had but he had one wife and David sinned with her and he committed adultery and the reason we know that God did not send Nathan to tell David that story and then say, you know, you're the man. Until the baby that he had with Bathsheba was already born. So they had a child 
And if you uh, go to, we won't go there, but if you go to Second Samuel, the 12th chapter, you will see that the child was already born. So it was at least nine months from the time that David and Bathsheba had sex and she had a baby before God sent Nathan to let David know, you know, thou art the man. So David had all this time to repent, but he didn't. He didn't. He didn't repent. He didn't. And so he was having a hard time for that nine months. You know, that's, that's what you call a guilty conscience, right? Can you imagine living with that kind of sin, murder, and adultery for all that time and never, ever confessing it? Never, ever making things right with God. So in Psalm 51, uh, look at verse 3, 4. He finally does. If I don't know if you have this in your Bible, but uh, under the Psalm 51, it says the chief. This was written uh, Psalm of David when David, the prophet, came unto him after he had gone to Bathsheba. In other words, David wrote this after Nathan called his hand, and he says in verse two. Wash me thoroughly. Now he's repenting, but he didn't until Nathan came and brought it out. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. And that's how it is if you don't repent, right? It's always there. It's always there. He said, My sin is ever before me, all that time, nine months. And now he's calling on the mercy of God. Verse 4, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil, that was very evil, murder and adultery, in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, And be clear when thou judgest. And then I was shapen in iniquity. This first scripture I gave you, this is where he wrote it. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Yeah, and he wasn't truthful at all. But he said, I know you desire that. And in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. There's his words of repentance. It took a long time for him to get there. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. There's repentance right there in black and white. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, uphold me with thy free spirit. He didn't have much joy. Do you think he did for nine months living with that sin? There wasn't much joy in David's life. And sinners don't have a lot of joy. Sin brings sadness. Sin brings sadness. And uh, going on, He said, just, he's pleading with God, don't cast me, don't, don't, 
don't take your spirit. Don't let me be lost. Don't cast me away from your presence. Uh, and he said, I'll teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted. I'll teach others. I've made these mistakes, but I'll, I'll teach others. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll show them how bad it is and how much he suffered. Um, and look at verse 17. The sacrifice of God, our broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, thou will not despise. So David called on the mercies of God. And God forgave him. And honestly, you know, we sing that song, Sister Lisa, about uh, there's greater sins than these beneath the blood. And I don't know how many people uh, have committed adultery and murder. And we know that God forgave David. And so don't ever think that God can't forgive you is what I'm trying to say. Don't ever think that. Because if God could forgive David of those horrendous sins, he will forgive you. But you do have to confess them. So how are we free from shame? Well, first of all, you have to, if you're ashamed is because you have unconfessed sin, then you've got to repent. You're not going to get rid of the shame until you repent of the sin. So, believe the word. You have to repent if you want to get rid of shame and guilt. Quote scripture to rebuke the accusations of Satan. Now, what Satan comes on the scene like this. You have repented, you've sinned, you've repented, you've done everything right. You have forsaken the sin, you're not sinning anymore. You, you've done everything according to the word, but you still feel guilt. That's what we want, I want to talk about. How do you get rid of that? Well, first of all, you have to recognize if you've done everything right, if you've repented and you are not living in sin anymore and you're, you know, living right, doing right, and you still have shame, that's not coming from God. That's coming from the devil. Okay? Because he is the accuser of brethren. Now, I want to tell you something really funny. I had a patient, and we were talking about this very subject. And she had, you know, sins in her past life, like we all did. And she was saying, you know, it's just, I can't, I can't forget the things I've done that were wrong. It's just always on my mind. But she had repented, because I asked her. And she had gotten out of, she wasn't continuing in the lifestyle that she had where she was sinning. She had repented, but she couldn't get rid of the shame. She couldn't get freedom from shame is what we're talking about. So I listened to her and I said, you know what? The next time that accuser because I felt like it was the enemy because she was doing right and it was in the past I said the next time those thoughts and accusations come to you like oh you're just a sinner you know you're no good you will never been any good you're never going to be good when you hear those accusations and those words, this is what you want to say to the devil. First of all, say, shut up. <laughs> Just say, shut up. And say, listen, I don't know who you're talking about because that person died. That you're talking about, they died. And they don't even live here anymore. Hallelujah. 
Praise the Lord. I don't know where I got that, but you know what? It worked. It worked, and I believe it. You've got to talk back to the devil when he is accusing you of something you've already repented of. You've got to say, shut up. That's under the blood. I already repented, and that person you're talking to doesn't live here anymore. There's a new person here. Isn't that right? We're new creatures in Christ. Hallelujah. We are not what we used to be. So remember that. If you've done everything and you still feel shame and condemnation, that's not from God. That's from the devil. Because it says in Romans, there is therefore now what? No condemnation to those that live right. Once you repent and it's under the blood, God is not going to condemn you for something you've already repented of. I had to tell you that. So how are we free from shame? Believe the word, quote scriptures to rebuke the accusations of Satan. Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. Have that mindset. I did that. I used to live that way, but I'll never do it again. We had an evangelist once, Brother Kitchen, uh, here in the old church, and he was talking about smoking. And he used to smoke, and then he uh, gave it up. And he said he would get packages of cigarettes to teach his boys. He would just stomp on that package of cigarette and say, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. I'll never buy another pack of you again. And he did that to show his children. He told us that, you know, you've got to hate sin. That's another thing. You've got to hate it. And you've got to love righteousness. There is therefore now, Romans 8 and 1, <clears throat> no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I'm on B under 4. Uh, read and memorize these scriptures. Talk back to the devil with scripture. That's what Jesus did, right? When the devil tempted him uh, in the uh, uh, wilderness, he quoted scriptures. So quote scripture. If you feel condemnation, you say, there is no condemnation because I'm a child of God. And that's under the blood. So don't condemn me because I have been freed from that. So quote scripture to the devil. Uh, Proverbs 16, 6, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. David pleaded with God for mercy. But you know what? We do have a merciful God. Thank God for that. God is very merciful. More, I've heard people say God is more merciful than people are. And I, I think that's true sometimes. God is very merciful. If you repent, He'll forgive you, and he won't bring it back up. The Bible said your sins will be as far as the east is from the west, and you can't measure that. It goes around. There is no measurement. So God will never bring up your sins, but the devil may, but the God won't. Okay. So by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Men depart from evil. And uh, see, look at this. Romans eight thirty three and 34, and we're almost done. <clears throat> Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died. People have no right to condemn people. It's Christ that died for their sins. So we should never, ever take on that kind of a critical attitude if we know about someone that's done something wrong. Pray for them. Be kind to them. 
be merciful. Who is he that condemneth? We don't condemn people. It's Christ that died. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Faith in the word. We are justified by the word and we have peace because we know the word is true. And that if we repent and forsake our sin, God is going to forgive us and we're going to have peace. We're going to have peace. And the last scripture, 1 John 1, 9. And I use this at the altar a lot of times if I'm praying with someone and I ask them if they repented and, and they haven't. And they repent and then I quote the scripture. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's very faithful, this God that we serve. He's very just. He's very loving. He's very kind. He is willing to forgive anyone that comes to him and repents. Aren't you glad to be serving a God like that? A God that will not condemn you, that will not bring up your past, but he'll just tell you about your future. Heaven. He won't bring up your past, but he'll tell you about your future. God bless you all. Thank you for coming and turn this to brother. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Myers. Let's all stand. Let's go to the Lord one more time. Amen. If you came into this place feeling guilt and shame, just pray this prayer that she said at the end, you know, just confess your sins to the Lord and he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't take an hour to do it. It doesn't have to take that long. You just confess it to the Lord and he forgives you. That's how merciful he is. Amen. Can we just go to the Lord? Lord, we love you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the word. Thankful for your mercies and for your grace. And God, if anybody's here under the condemnation of past failures and faults, we pray, Lord, that you would help them, O oh God, through the power of your word, just to confess that fault and to leave it with you, O oh Lord. God, we thank you, Jesus, that you're a merciful God. God, that your hand is extended to us. We bind the enemy in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in the fear of the Lord.